What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. It's popping. Real ones. Logan Murdoch here. Howard Beck there. No Raja today for the last MF and Mondays of the year. Sorry, Howard. Um... But other than that, how you doing, bud? What's going on? How's it back east? Uh, I'm good. Kind of stormy back east, like a uh, massive storm kind of thing where they were like warning of like floods and winds and stuff being uprooted and like, I don't know, Dorothy's house flying around or something. But uh, uh, <laughs> we're all good. We're fine. I- I'm curious, though, like, all right, this is the first time since I joined the show as a regular on Mondays where Raja is not here. Now, you and I in my past employment places i would come on occasionally would just be the two of, this is the first time it's the two, the two of us since i've been a regular and so i'm curious am i temporarily promoted to actual real one capital r capital o uh or 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 <laughs> is that is it like interim real one like i don't what's the okay, proper title all right, at this all point? right let's settle this debate that you started yourself on twitter at no prompting <laughs> for no reason whatsoever i've got a lot I of insecurities team. logan have you not yeah. realized this by now i see that uh you never were not a real one the reason why you came on the show is because you are a real one there is no interim oh. there is no any of that stuff you are a real one there's no honorary there's no none all of right. that you are a real one you are part of this family we we literally said welcome to the family in the group chat when you came aboard I don't know where the confusion is, Howard. That was a direct quote from me and Raja. I don't I don't know where we're going with this. All right. You know, sometimes the insecurities get the best of me. It's a thing, you know, but uh, thank you. Good, good, good to be here. Good to be real. I like being real. Yeah, there's no AI version of Howard Beck. That's my knowledge. That that would suck, by the way. I know. AI, I know. AI me would just be no. No one needs more me. Let's that's let's start there. 
You know, in the beginning of the AI revolution, and I promise we will get to the thing. Um, I I thought that like this, they would say it was the Allen Iverson version of a person. I really thought that, like the first time I heard AI, when they were like AI version of this, I'm like, oh, AI coming back out with something that's wild. Is that's that, disrespectful to Andrea Godala, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, when I was a kid. One of my first jerseys that my mama ever bought me was an Andre Iguodala Sixers jersey, the number four jersey. And it's wild because I got to cover that, man. Um, but anyways, um, let's get let's finally get to the rundown. Um, I was perusing after football Sunday about just some topics to go through. And, you know, as you know, this is post in-season tournament. So it's kind of a dead time before we get to Christmas. Um but I saw two specific games, uh, two specific wins by two specific teams, the Suns and the Bucks. And I saw a commonality between the two, um, which is how they built their teams over the summer. Now, I know it's the, there's nuance to both ways, and we're going to get into that nuance in the first segment. But both teams have the commonality that they went out to go get stars to figure out if they can get a championship formula, right? The Suns got uh, two stars and two different off-seasons in Bradley Bill and Kevin Durant, um, while the Bucks went out and got uh, traded for Damian Lillard over the summer. And it there, there, there are two different reasons why. Um, both were because of a championship, but if I look at the Milwaukee Bucks, um, it was because they saw that team that they had around Giannis had pretty much maxed out, out its potential and wanted to um, raise their ceiling. And the Suns, kind of, but in a different way, wanted to um, make sure that they were just in the hunt, new ownership, um, and wanted to do that. And I look at their schedule right, I look at their records right now, the Suns at the moment are 14 and 12, while the Bucks are 19 and 7. But when I look at both of these teams, I see, and it's not a revolutionary idea, but it is something for the modern era, an arms race to get talent around talent and not necessarily developing the talent within to be able to um, sustain or not sustain or try to build that thing. When you see how both of these two um, teams have built uh, their rosters, what do you think it says about the modern team building in the modern NBA? It's really interesting because uh, like in the abstract, there are some common threads there, <laughs> not least of which is, of course, that these two teams both slipped after meeting in the finals in 2021, right? Like they, you know, they're, they're battling it out. Giannis walks away with his championship. The Suns figure, well, you know, Booker will keep evolving. Aiton will keep evolving. Chris Paul's got another couple of years left. And then things change really fast in this league, right? Like age creeps in, um, things get stale, a key guy gets hurt, whatever it is. And so like you, you, you can never like plan on, this moment, like the 2021 finals, this is the start of something. Oh, the Bucks, they've, this is going to be a three, four year run now where they're going to be, you know, in finals contention every year. And they've, you know, plausibly been a contender, um, first round loss, notwithstanding. Um, the Suns had a, had a more difficult path forward after that moment because Chris Paul was already old by NBA standards at the moment they made the finals and you knew the clock was ticking. What we didn't necessarily anticipate was how much just the younger part of it, like you just were talking about, Logan, like, <laughs> you know, how much do you rely on your 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 youth to evolve and just developing? Guys? Well, 
The Suns saw enough of DeAndre Eaton to finally figure this this guy's not he's he's not going to ever be the the number one overall transformative player that we thought we got a few years back. So it's it's interesting where they both ended up, right? They both make the swing for the fences moves, but they're really different after that. Everything else is different to me. Like the Bucks did everything they could with a Giannis as as basically the only offensive engine. A little Middleton here, a little Drew Holiday there, a little whatever. They went as far as they thought they could. And so now they traded defense for offense. And in the Suns case, it was like, this is just a, this is a brand new team. It's Devin Booker and a bunch of dudes who had nothing to do with 2021 when they were in the finals. It is a completely different team. And it was doubling down and tripling down, going, getting Durant, getting Beal. And, you know, I, the Suns are trying to basically reconstruct the idea of a super team. Whereas the Bucks are just trying to formulate a different plan, a different scheme around Giannis and a group that otherwise is, you know, got a lot of the same key guys, right? Portis, Lopez, Middleton. So they're they're different in that respect. The Suns are like, it, this is just a whole new thing. And and they're trying to revive the idea of a super team. And I know some people pushed back the last time we talked about this a few weeks back. Well, like if it's if, if if by your definition, Howard, uh, super team is like three top twenty five ish guys. Well, Beal's not in that. Well, yeah, but he's paid like that, and he was all NBA as recently as two years ago. I, I, I forgot. Like I was shocked when I went and looked it back up this morning. Bradley Beal was all NBA in twenty twenty one. So they're trying the Suns to do the super team thing, but they're so top heavy and they're so injury prone. It's, I want to start with the Suns first because you make up a great point just about how, just even how we look at super teams, right? You put a, a hodgepodge of, of good, of, of great players together and expect it to work. I mean, the most modern example of that is, uh, the, the Heatles and the, uh, the post decision heat. Um, but I think when you see that team and when you see the Suns, it's interesting because you almost forget that you have to round out the team and I'm not, and not the heat did a good job ultimately of rounding out the team with guys like Shane Battier, Mike Miller, um, and, and, you know, Joe uh, and a lot of, and Joel Anthony and a lot of guys over there. But I, 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 when I watch the Suns at this point, they look like a team that is trying to find the rest of the guys on the fly. And I think that it would have been one thing for them to trade for. And I know that, 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 that uh, Bradley Beal was the biggest name and the biggest fish, and that is just the luck of the draw whenever you find somebody in free agency. But when I look at the Suns on a night-to-night basis, it's either it's feast or famine, and sometimes both in the same night, right, where uh, they score really big, uh, but they or they'll and they'll let a, they'll let a team back into the game, and it's just it's it's just it's hard to find their groove um, at, at times. How much when we look at super teams, Howard, do we forget that one, this thing takes time and another thing that when you're doing it on the fly and putting that much pressure on yourself, you got to make sure that you have you put guys in place that actually fit with each other and actually can compete in a Western conference. Cause I look at that and the most glaring issue that the Suns have is that they have no front line whatsoever. Um, you have Nurkic and then once he goes out, you have uh, Eubanks. Um, and then once he fouls that, you have Kevin Durant guarding the likes of Jokic and Anthony Davis. So 
what is the path forward for the Suns, and what are they? And in hindsight, how are you looking at this move to get Bill um, months later? If we're going to go from like the benefit of the doubt approach, benefit of the doubt. All right, Bradley Beal's been mostly out. Right, he's barely played. So if if there is a um, a version of this team in which the firepower of Durant, Beal, Booker is so overwhelming. And that you've got at least one of them on the court for all 48 minutes, probably two out of the three for most of a game and all three to start, all three to finish. You're counting on the idea based on the construction alone, right? That you look at their roster. The roster suggests one thing. We know we don't have enough size. No, we don't have enough defense, but we've got three guys who at their relative uh, peaks are, are going to just kick your ass up and down the court. And we'll just outscore people more or less. We'll get our stops when we need to, but we are going to be so overpowering offensively. We're not going to worry about it. Um, that's plausible. You can make that argument. I'll, I'll accept the argument, but I, I had doubts going in because the, the whole thing about, well, as soon as Bradley Beal's healthy. Yeah. When is that going to be exactly? And you knew going in that you had three stars who all had injury histories and, and Beal, uh, primary among them. So. Even the benefit of the doubt approach presupposes that at some point all three of them are healthy for a long stretch. And I don't know if they're going to get there. Um, when they do, or if they do, if they're all three out there, everybody else is going to fall into a little bit different of a place, right, Logan? Like, like suddenly you're not counting on as much from, you know, Kata Bates' job or, you know, or even Eric Gordon, who's, you know, more of a, a veteran that I think you can rely on. Like, you're not you the, the the rotation everybody falls into the right place and so i i think there's a part of this where i'm not ready to write them off but i also think that what we've seen so far is is indicative of all the risks that they took in doing this they went top heavy in payroll and in talent and they did it with guys who were hurt so often that you knew going in you're gonna need some luck and they haven't had it yet and they might not get it. And a lot of that has to do with their owner, right? And I get it because, like, owners want to make a splash. Matt Ishbia wants to make a splash. But how do you, I don't know, advisors or something like that? And I don't want to make it seem like it's it's terrible in Phoenix. Like, it's definitely not. You have two, three bona fide all-stars on your team, three bona fide all-NBA guys on your team, right? Like, it's not the worst thing. There's teams around the league that would love a collection of talent of Bill Durant and Booker. But when you see an ownership group trying to make a splash, like you've been around the league a long time. I need you to take off your journalist hat and put on your advisor hat. You are in the you are in the front office. How would you advise a new owner on how to get a a, a ready made championship team together with the Phoenix Suns assets when he took the team? Maybe what's that late? What's that late? Uh, early two thousand three. Uh, 2023 what are, yeah, what are right. you as, he, as an advisory role right yeah. before the Durant trade right yep yeah I mean he I was, was the Durant trade was on the table the whole time and he was like let's just do it yeah. let's get it done yeah um boy there's a there's a bunch of there's a bunch of thoughts here all right let's try this um start with start with this NBA owners by and large don't know anything about how to run a basketball team these people are like, say it again, say industry. it again, Howard. <laughs> NBA owners, by and large, on day one at least, don't know jack about running an NBA team. 
they're captains of industry, but it's other industries. They're captains of real estate, captains of banking and hedge funds and venture whatever, capital. Malls, venture capital, all kinds of other stuff that is not basketball. And so they all come in thinking they've got all the answers. They all think they're brilliant. Some of them think uh, you could run uh, four on five. Um, I, I think I think he's disavowed that by now. Um, but Publicly, they come at least. In, yeah. Um, and so to me, I always put it this way. If tomorrow I somehow happen to come into, and this number increases every year, I don't know, $5 billion uh, and could own an NBA team, but bought it tomorrow, I've covered the league for 26 something years, right? Like I, I think I know a few things. I think I probably know more than a lot of NBA owners do on day one about how this league actually works, but I don't know shit about how to run an NBA team either. I'm not relying on my 26 years as a reporter. That's crazy. So you have to have the humility to say, I don't know anything. I'm going to surround myself with people who do. And so the first thing is like, you know, hire the best possible head of basketball ops. You know, you go out and you try and poach a Sam Presti or a Masai Ujiri or an R.C. Buford or, or one of those guys. That's why I love what the the Minnesota Timberwolves did for a quick tangent here. Like, I get it. Glenn Taylor's still nominally in charge. But like Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez come in as, as new owners. What's the first thing they do in partnership with Glenn Taylor during this transition period? They went out and threw a boatload at Tim Connolly, who was low key, one of the best executives in the NBA running the Denver Nuggets. Um. And look, like, if you were going to like throw cold water on that, you'd say, ah, oh, that stupid Rudy Gobert trade. Eh, that, that trade's looking a lot better now than it did, you know, six months ago. But they like they did. They did it the way that I always say you should do it. Go out and find the, the smart people who actually know how this league works. Um, but the other thing I'd say in the Ishbia case is like. Take deep breaths, sir. <laughs> I advise you to take deeper breaths like. You don't have to go out and, and, and tr- make the blockbuster deal for Kevin Durant that mortgaged your entire future of your franchise on day one of your ownership or day two, whatever it was. And then the Beal thing, you know, it's funny. Like, I think once you're all in on Durant and you, now the clock is ticking, you've already given away the future with all the picks and swaps and everything. You kind of like, hey, you might as well with Beal. I wouldn't have done it. And look at it right now. Chris Paul's played like 20 more games or 18 more games, whatever it is. Than Bradley Beal. You traded Chris Paul because he was the old dude for the younger by eight years or something, Bradley Beal. But Beal's the one with, like, I, I know Chris Paul's got injury history too, but Beal's has been a, pretty troublesome. I don't Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, uh, and whatever else you picked up off the, the minimum salary heap this summer might have been all right. I don't know. Or maybe there was a difference. You still deal. got Aiden on, and you still have Aiden on the roster at that point, right? Like, it, obviously, you don't, yeah. if you don't trade, if you don't trade them, you could still, you still don't, you still have Aiden and Chris Paul on the roster and you still have asset. It's if a big comes of available. Yeah. And, and maybe there were other places to send Aiden for, for different parts. Uh, maybe you could have gotten a better return than Yusuf Nurkic, who, by the way, also injury history. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, if it all felt very hasty, it all felt very new owner ish, right? Mark Cuban came in and, in, you know, 20 years ago and was like, people forget this now. I, I don't, I, I'm sure Cubans reflected on it at a time when the luxury tax had just been created, right? And it was just a dollar for dollar tax. It was very like lightly punitive back then. 
but no teams didn't want to pay the luxury tax even on a dollar for dollar basis 20 years ago when they first started the tax. Cuban comes in around that same time and he's like, oh, you don't want uh, Nick Van Exel and his big contract? I'll take him. Oh, Rafe LaFrance, I'll take him. Antoine Walker, Antoine Jameson, everybody else named Antoine with a max deal, I'll take them all. Like Cuban was like, and, and there were three teams, the Knicks, the Mavericks, and the Trailblazers who basically were like, F it, luxury tax, don't care. We will take all the contracts that y'all don't want because we will then be able to stack up a lot of presumably high talent players. And so Cuban did that. He hired like 12 assistant coaches at a time that most teams still only had like two or three. So it was just throwing money at everything. And like owners come in guns blazing a lot of times. And like Ishbia is a different version of that. But um, a, a slower approach in this case, more conservative approach probably would have been the better idea. Because if this doesn't work, and it looks pretty, I want to say bleak at the moment, but it, it doesn't look great. You didn't it, make these it, trades it, to be 14 and 12 in December. No. No. And you and and the fact is, and you knew from the moment they made the first deal for Durant, if it doesn't work, it's hell to pay for years, right? Like recouping all that lost draft capital is really tough. And like, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to get crazy here and spin too far forward, but like, you know, this crashes and burns and like, you know, is Devin Booker now asking out, right? Like there's a worst case scenario here where you don't win titles. You don't even make the finals. Everybody's hurt all the time. Everybody's unhappy. Guys, you know, Durant retires, uh, you know, Beal, what I, I mean, Beal's contract is going to just <laughs> wreck them for the next couple of years. Like, I don't know, man. I, I, like, again, I, it's it's the holiday season. I don't want to get too bleak and, and dour here, Logan, but like Howard Beck, the, the, the Grinch, the, the worst <laughs> the Grinch case that stole all of your NBA fandom dreams. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm just saying there's, there's the worst case scenarios for Phoenix are really bad. Because of how much they risk. Now let's go to the more. Let's go to the Milwaukee because we, we, you know, we, we. This is also what we started with. When you look at their approach, right? And honestly, I understand their approach. You had they felt like they maxed out, even with the, um, even with the worst case scenario, of Drew Holiday uh, being traded with back it back to within your conference um, into a contender that will probably you will face in the postseason. I mean. The Bucks are still one of the class of the, of the Eastern Conference and could still go into the NBA Finals, still could win a championship. Um, what have you seen, contrasting with Phoenix's approach, what have you seen from Milwaukee's approach that has bared more fruit and might make them more successful in the long run with this approach of bringing a star into the fold? I'll answer that one in a second, but um, I just it, a, a thought occurs to me because like, the biggest one of the biggest issues the Bucks have, aside from you know, it's been a kind of fits and starts with this version with with Dame and Giannis trying to figure out their partnership and all that. Like the biggest negative so far about the trade is not just losing Drew Holiday's defense, but the fact that that defense is is now in Boston with your biggest rival. Right? We've seen all these like creative ways of uh, uh, putting uh, limits on on picks and whatever and we're gonna trade you this pick but it's only if it falls between seven and ten in an odd year or whatever could you now start putting qualifiers on players like hey portland we want dame oh you want drew okay we'll trade you drew um he cannot be traded back to the eastern conference if you remove him like could you i don't think that's legal 
I'm just I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm just I'm just spitballing. Like the worst consequence of that trade is not so much having traded defense for offense and trying to figure out a, you know a, a new formula here with with Damon Giannis. It's the fact that True Holiday is like kicking ass for your biggest rival in the was like now you, the I, best team in the league. <laughs> could like I, you you got to wonder like if you could do it over, you'd still do it, right? Because you traded for Dame and then Giannis signed an extension. So like the first victory of the Dame trade, like with the Drew trade a few years back, in both cases, it got Giannis to sign an extension. That's a win. Like on its face, all alone, that's a win. Cool. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the on the court, ugh, awkward, awkward. Would you still do the trade if you knew that that like you wouldn't have traded Drew to the Celtics directly to get absolutely Dame, would you? not absolutely like if it were a three team deal. If if the Celtics had come to them and said, "Hey, uh, Portland, Milwaukee, we want to do a three team we'll deal. You. We get Drew." If you're the Bucks, you'd say like, "No, we need a third team." The Celtics came in and did some dirty macking and was like, "Yo, man, that Drew Holiday. Yo, we can help you out. Get back all your dreams come true. Just give us Drew Holiday. What's up?" <laughs> <laughs> right. You, you you'd slam the door. Yeah. Um. So, so there's that. Um. So their approach. I don't, I, there's no, I can't find any fault here. I, I don't, I, there's no, like the thought process. You, tell me if you disagree. The thought process, I, I totally get. Like the Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez supporting cast. Obviously, some other guys in there too, but like that, that that's your core group around Giannis. That's the group that helped them win a title, Bobby Portis too. Um, it, it felt like that had already run its course, right? It, it, like age was creeping in with, with, you know, and, and with Middleton, especially with injuries, but Middleton, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, like there was a legit question about like how much longer can you go with those as your three guys around Giannis? And on top of that, your offense just isn't all that dynamic and too much rests on Giannis. And Giannis has some limits to his game as, as, as big of a wrecking ball of an offensive player as he is. And I mean that in the most positive way possible. Like, there were limits. You kind of need a, a Dame Lillard shot creator, shot maker from everywhere on the court in clutch time kind of guy. And he was available. Like the, He's an all-timer. He's a top 75 all-time player. And he's still. That's why I'm not mad at level. the deal, man. Yeah. You wanted that. Right? You wanted it. You wanted that dynamic part of your offense. You wanted to raise that ceiling. You wanted another dude aside. And not yeah. to say Drew Holiday was was and is an all star, but you wanted more than that. You want an all NBA guy to pair alongside your once in a generation talent. I'm not mad at that. No. So it's a weird comparison, but like when the Heat first got LeBron and Bosch to come play with Wade, I mean. I'm sure people will remember, like they they went out the gate, hovered around 500 for the first couple months, and there was the you know LeBron bumping Spolstra and all that, you know, like <laughs> weird. It was real messy in Miami. It was real messy. It was yeah, and it's because they there was those were two guys who no matter how close they were off the court, and they were, they're both used to having the ball in their hands a lot, controlling the offense, high usage guys. It took time to figure out how best to play off of each other. Giannis and Dame is a much different version of that, but Giannis has been the center of the universe in Milwaukee for several years running and won a championship that way. He didn't have to defer to anybody or figure out how to play off of anybody. And Dame has been the center of the universe in Portland for even longer. Like, you know, it, it was always going to take some time. Um, 
Eric name at the athletic had a really nice story recently about just them trying to figure out the pick and roll partnership because we all thought going out, Oh, what the moment they got him, this is going to be the most devastating pick and roll we've ever seen. And it just, it takes some time. And you know, I don't, I don't know that Giannis has ever been like a major screen setter. Hasn't been a, like the ball is more often in his hands and someone else is screening for him probably than, than him being the screener. So it's like, that's an adjustment. Um, and despite everything, they're in pretty good shape as we sit here in late December. Uh, unlike the other team we were talking about, like the Bucks are fine. Are they good enough? And will the defense be good enough to get out of the East? You know, that's, that's still the open question. Yeah. And, and I, I think people don't realize, like, even when you say that the, uh, the notion that fans say, that, oh man, the pick and roll is going to be great. It's going to be most devastating. Like it's, obviously still can be that right and i don't think i don't think that i think when you see the transaction on the transaction wire i think a lot of people see what's going to happen in april right they see they see this they look way too in the future and i don't think that there's enough respect put toward the process of trying to build chemistry right or trying to build that up like damon Giannis were two different conferences. They didn't even see each other that much, right? And now you're putting them into the same team together. It's not just on the court. I mean, me and Roger talk about this all the time, just finding uh, chemistry within the locker room and all these different things and trying to find a a symmetry is a, is a, is it takes months, you know, if not like – if you go look at the thing that's going that that I would give the Celtics the edge on in a matchup between the Bucks and the Celtics is the Celtics just have they've have a years and years worth of chemistry together on top of being great already, right? Yeah. And that's what the Bucks are building. We don't Howard, we don't give enough respect to it takes time to figure this out. They they're only in what is it? month like 3 or 4 of like actually playing together. Do, we don't give enough respect to the time it takes to for two colossally great players to come together as, as one. Like it, it takes time. LeBron and Wade took time. You know, KD and Steph took time. You know, it, it. We we I think we need to get more respect. Give respect to that. But also, like you know, the like the the, the KD and Curry one was like just an outlier anyway. Like it so rarely rarely happens and. The Warriors already knew how to win a championship and already had. So Durant could come in on day one and they're all going to say like, you know, just do what you do because you're one of the greatest offensive players in the history of the game. But also here's how we do things here. And proof of concepts already there. Durant wanted to go. Durant went there as a free agent too. So it's not, it's not the trade situation where, you know, Dame didn't pick the Bucks, right? Dame was trying to pick and he was picking Miami. Um, so uh, it's every one of these is a little different, but you're right, Logan, like you're right. Like the, the thing it's really about, it does take time and it's taken time with, with most of these kind of things. Like the Celtics with Pierce Garnett and Ray Allen were one of the rare uh, cases where like day one, it just clicked. Like those guys went out, I don't know, 23 and five or some crazy start to the season. They were just crushing people. And so sometimes it just clicks, but it's also, they did not have overlapping skill sets. Like that was one of the most perfectly, this is the problem with the whole super team era. The Celtics found the perfect complementary pieces with Ray Allen, 
being one of the greatest shooters of all time. And granted, he'd had a ball in his hands a lot more in his earlier days with Milwaukee and Seattle. But Ray Allen could just go out there and be the best, best shooter of all time, playing off of Paul Pierce, who was more of a ball-dominant, kind of do-everything player. And then Kevin Garnett as defensive linchpin, who can make, make a shot now and then. Like, they were complementary stars. The idea of a super team gets distorted when we think, oh, just grab three max dudes who have made a bunch of all-NBA teams and throw them together and we'll be fine. There have been so many bad versions of it since the Celtics won it all in 2008. Um, like everybody keeps attempting. Again, like that's more or less what the Suns are trying to do. They're trying to revive that, that model. We haven't had a super team actually win it all since the Warriors in 2018, the last, the last year that Durant was healthy with them. Um, it's more like ensembles now. You got to have one like absolute stud. You got to have a Giannis or a Steph or a Jokic, or a LeBron, um, or going back one more, going back to Kawhi. But like all those teams are more or less ensembles. Like They're not super teams. Are you saying that it's hard to win a championship in the NBA, Howard? <laughs> that is also true. That is also definitely true. Um, but like, I, I still, like, the, the Bucks, the Bucks have a shot here, right? Like anything, any, any of the nitpicking we could all do, the Bucks have a shot. And we'll see where things are in the spring. Um, but I, like, again, I, I can't find fault with their thought process at all. And that's the other thing too. We have to, we have to separate process from result in a lot of these things because not everything's yeah. going to work. Cause as you just said, winning a championship is hard and there's all these variables and there's all these unknowns and sometimes shit just happens. But I have, I have no, I cannot find any fault with the process for what the Bucks did. And again, the win on day one was Giannis signed an extension. Doesn't guarantee he'll be there forever because, as we know, guys sign extensions all the time in this league and still ask out eventually. Not saying he will, not saying he won't. But getting him to sign it, that the show of faith that he has in the franchise with that, that signature, just as, he, as they did with Drew Holiday when they got him, like that means a lot. Um, and they've given themselves a chance. And, you know, I, you know Giannis and Dame both want to win. Giannis badly wants another one. You, you can see that. Dame's never made it to the finals or won a championship. I, like I, I, I have every belief in the world that those guys are going to do everything possible. Again, doesn't mean it'll work, but I'm, I'm not worried about the Bucks. Let's take a quick break, and I have questions for Howard. He has no idea what his answer to them is, so this should be very, very fun. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. 
cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. All right, let's look at the slate. Y'all know me. Taking the over on Wizards-Kings. It's going to be a lot of points scored. Minimal defense. I'm also looking at Knicks-Lakers. Hmm. I don't know. Yep, taking the over. Let's also look at Jazz Nets. Hmm. I really, really want to take the over in the Delta Center, but I think I'm going to take the under. <laughs> Switching it up. Then, for the Mavericks Nuggets, I'm going to look at that. Let's look at the line. Got it. Taking the over. And you can do all of that on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. The app is easy to use. And there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same-game parlays, the Parlay Hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, Howard, we're about to go into the new year. And um, I have some questions. Maybe we make some predictions for 2024. Are you ready to make some predictions and, and get some get some questions out? Are you how are you feeling about that? Are you nervous? Because you kind of were nervous pre-pod when I said, yo, I got I got a load of questions for you. And <laughs> oh, I'm I nervous. Don't know. Didn't didn't we just open with the whole segment about my insecurities as a person, as a mm. as a, as a yes. podcaster, as everything? Like I, yes. so yeah, uh you've you've completely unsettled me. And so, you know, fire away and I will see what I can come up with. Let's do it. We have thousands and thousands of fans and legions of ringer folks that uh, will call you out, as you know, if they don't agree with our takes. <laughs> um, let's go with the first one. Let's go back to your uh, let's go back to to our to our old stomping grounds. Let's go to Sacramento. Um, are the Kings ready to take the next step at the Western Conference in 2024? In 2024. Um I'm going to say yes. I think they are, uh, I, and I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with two things. Um, the 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 Fox, De'Aaron Fox has, you know, he won the first ever Clutch Player of the Year award. De'Aaron Fox has not fallen off at all. Like, there's no hangover here of his breakthrough season, and he's been on the rise for a while now. The Fox bonus thing is is legit. It's great. The wild card is Keegan Murray and how quickly he evolves. Um, as as a potential defensive stopper on the perimeter, as a you know uh, another offensive generator, um, shot creator, like can they can can Keegan Murray fast track himself to being like the third guy? And you know Mike Brown has put a lot of emphasis on defense because you knew the offense is already elite there. If they could just even be average defensively, there's a lot of teams in this boat, right? <laughs> We're going to be elite offensively. We just got to figure out a way to be even average defensively and we'll give ourselves a shot. There's a lot of that going on right now in the league. Um, but yeah, I think the Kings are ready. I think the Kings can't take that next step. The, the difficulty is this. The West is deep this season. And there are a lot of teams that like the Clippers have kind of found their footing, right? Like, you know, too soon to like just assume anything with them. But it seems like they found their footing with Harden now. 
Um, Kawhi and Paul George have to stay healthy, but like the Clippers are probably going to be have to be reckoned with in in the spring. The Nuggets aren't going anywhere. The Suns may get healthy and pull it together. Uh, the Lakers are going to have to be reckoned with. The in season tournament champion Lakers. They're putting their banner up tonight. Reckoned. Show some respect. Okay, they're putting they're putting they're putting their <laughs> banner up tonight. I'm with oh, you, boy. The, I think boy, the, the, ener- the energy in the arena is just going to be through the roof. Yeah, exactly. There's no one. No one's going to be there. You think Jack's going to be there for the in-season tournament banner hanging? No, um, maybe no, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Okay, I, I, dude. If they, if they play, we are the champions, or anything even um, uh, like remotely like that. I, I just, I, I, it, I, I, I it's, it's just over. It's great to see the line and I, I promise it's I know there are a lot of Kings fans that are really mad at us right now like we're talking about the Kings and the Lakers come up I I apologize we'll get back to your team it's just funny to see the Lakers toe that line between like yeah we're excited about this versus like we don't want to be too far clipper we don't want to be like that we don't want to do too much so that's funny but go ahead uh going with the Kings I'm with you on the Kings I'm I'm bought in uh, I'm bought in on the Kings stock um the thing that they need to figure out is how they're going to build a championship level defense, right? And that has been or consistent championship level defense. And that has been a been kind of hard um over the last year as they've ascended. Um and a lot of it has to do with just personnel, right? They're a very fast team. They're a team that is prioritizes getting up and down, and that doesn't um give itself to great defense but Keegan Murray really really good defender right Mike Brown really really good defensive head defensive coach and I think they will figure that out my question also is are they going is this going to be this is a big moment for Mike Brown as a coach now for most of his career even as a head coach he has he and I'm going back to Cleveland his first in in Cleveland. He has had the reputation of be of having of being a really really good coach and his teams having a ceiling. Um and he is now whether that's fair or unfair that is the narrative on Mike Brown. What he, and I think that he has gotten a lot of experience during his time in Golden State and I'm curious to see how that experience is put into practice in Sacramento. Um I think he is well on his way to to pushing out those notions, but he needs to he has a lot to prove as a coach on the postseason level and getting the Kings from um, the darlings of the NBA of first round exit darlings to a, what they want to be, which is a championship contender. Um, we'll see if that happens, but I am all in on the Kings. And for those reasons that I mentioned, they are exciting. They're not afraid of the moment, but they do need to get their defense right. And Mike Brown needs to uh, has a lot to prove. And a, and a quick aside, just because I'm pulling up stats while we're talking, what I was saying, like they should, you know, you got to just be average, at least defensively, if you're elite offensively. They have actually achieved average dumb in uh, defense. They're like 14th in defensive rating right now. So they are hovering in that range. The problem right now is uh, their offense, which was number one last season, is also hovering in average range at around 14th in offensive rating. But, you know, look, Fox missed all those games early on. Um, they're, they're still kind of figuring some things out. But, like, I... I I have no doubt in my mind the Kings are still going to be a top or going to be again uh, a top 10 ish or more or better um, offensive team by the time all is said and done this season. Let's go. We're still in the Western Conference. 
want to go to Minnesota. You referenced them earlier, and I like them just like how you like them. In 2024, is Anthony Edwards going to follow through on the promise that we have seen from him early this season as a franchise star? And is he going to be one of the faces of the league by the end of next year? Whew. Um, you know, I, I know, I know after the summer, after the team USA experience, people kind of felt like that was, that was the, the next logical thing. Like this was going to be his season. Um, he's on his way and he's a really exciting player. He's a fun player. Um, he's really stepped up uh, on the defensive side in a way that I don't think his first couple of years in the league, I don't think people thought Anthony Edwards was going to be much of a, of a defensive presence. Um, he was viewed as kind of, you know, hey, look, you know, uh, kind of standard issue, ball dominant shooting guard, you know, uh, in the old school model of he's going to have a high usage rate, score a lot, you know, efficiency may, may or may not be there. I think people had some doubts about him, but he's, he's been very efficient. He's been an, you know, offensively, um, just, you know, not only an explosive player, but I think, has become a, a very smart player about the way he leverages his talent and about the way he uses his teammates. Um, he's on pace for a career high in, in, in assists this season. Um, he's really rounding into form. I, it, when we start talking about like faces of the league and like how we're going to regard a guy, it, it always comes down to what they do in the postseason. And he just doesn't have much of a playoff record to, to cite yet. Um, he's, he's been there, you know, briefly a couple of times, but like, that's that's the thing, for, and that's the thing for that franchise period, right? The Timberwolves haven't been a force in the in the postseason for a very long time. Are they as good as their record suggests right now? Are they really one of the best teams in the West? One of the best teams in the league? Can they sustain it? Um, I, 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 I'm leaning toward yes right now. Like I, I hard lean toward yes. And if that's the case, Anthony Edwards is going to get that bigger stage if they can go a couple rounds in the playoffs. And be playing in May, then yeah, he's he's going to be right up there among the the, the big you know the, the bigger names in the league. But you know that's a crowded list. Um, I'm with you on this one. I want to see what he does in the playoffs, and let's not act like Anthony Edwards hasn't had success in the playoffs. I mean, his team might not have done it, but he has shown really good, um, shown really good promise in the postseason. Um, you know, during his time there. Now, it was a short time, but every time I've seen the, the Timberwolves in the postseason when Anthony Edwards is playing, I'm like, oh, get him the ball more. He's the guy. Get him the ball. And um, I, I think that he'll have the support of um, the front office. It's just interesting now because now it's like commercially we're get, being fed Anthony Edwards all the time. He has a new shoe coming out. He has a boatload of interviews. He is getting pushed into – that it's it's a, the zeitgeist as the next marketable star. Now let's see if that uh that that translates. Um, let's go to the go to the Eastern Conference really quickly. Um, the Celtics they're right in the mix. Is this the year? Is this going to be the year they finally break through in twenty twenty four? Does that mean championship? I mean, it has to be right. Like, there's no it has to be. There's, they've, they've accomplished everything else but a title. Yeah. Ah, you're asking me for a championship prediction in December. I think my my preseason prediction. This is this is the great thing, right? If we ask each other in in written form and on podcasts enough times over the course of a season, eventually we might give the right answer. Um, 
the the Bucks were my preseason pick. I think I went Mine Bucks too. over Lakers. Yeah. Did you go Bucks over Lakers? I think I I might have went I might have went Bucks over Suns. That's it was tough. I don't yeah, know. That, right that yeah. was tough. I went Bucks over Lakers. So there's the part of me that thinks like well, we should just be consistent, right? And and the Bucks have not should you know shown anything that should make me doubt that necessarily. I think this. I mean, look of the two of them, yeah, the Celtics have looked better, and the Celtics have a lot going for them, right? They've got more youth. They've got more. Um, like they've got the best starting five in the league, maybe even the best six, first six in the league. I like if I had if I'm if I'm doing it over again now. I'm probably leaning Celtics over Bucks. Um, but the Bucks are are very much in this thing. The Sixers are, I think, in this in this thing in a way that we did not I put Lakers Bucks. Lakers Bucks. That's 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 not bad. I'm I'm okay. And you with went that. Lakers and you had Bucks went, over Lakers? I had Bucks over Lakers. All right. All right, so we yes. both had the same. Yep. Um but I I'm just I've I, I, I need to see the I need to see the Bucks get through the season healthy. But you're asking about the Celtics. Um, the, the Celtics have been awesome, man. Like, there's, it's really hard to punch any holes in the case for the Celtics winning a championship right now. So if we're just wiping the slate clean and pretending we never made preseason predictions that I feel somewhat beholden to, my December 18th prediction, you're asking me now, are the Celtics going to finally break through? Yeah, yeah, I think they're going to. I I think so too, and I'm saying this on the eve. I'm about to see them in person for the first time this season tomorrow. Uh, they come to Chase Center, so excited about that. I, this is I feel how I feel about the Celtics like every year since 2022, right? Like they they're so deep. Jalen Brown is so good. <laughs> Jason Tatum are they're so good, right? They're so deep. They have the defensive prowess, but I'm scared because like is there I think I think last year's playoff performance just really spooked me in picking the Celtics. Now I do want to pick the Celtics. I want that. But they gotta prove to me and the rest of the league that they can keep their chest stuck out and win in May and June, right? Because the last two seasons, they have they have been juggernauts. Let's say the last season and a half, right? Because the second half of the twenty two season yeah. Yeah. with with uh, MAU Doka. For the last season and a half, they have shown that they could be amazing in the regular season. And but when it when it gets when the going gets tough, they fold. Like the last two seasons in the end, that is what ha- has happened. When they have gotten punched in the face, they have folded. My what I want to see from the Celtics is them get punched in the face, eat that shit. And then go back and kick some ass. And we're not going to know that. It's only December. We're not going to know that's going to happen until May. But when you see them on a night-to-night basis, Howard, they're so good. I'm going to pick. I'm going to say I have confidence that they will do it, but I'm not ready to change my prediction. Is that fair? <laughs> that's a that's nice probably what you should have did. That's probably what you should have did. <laughs> Isn't that what I did? I think that's what I did. Kind of, sort of, maybe. Maybe, but you said as of December 18th, you're picking them. You kind of changed <laughs> it. Nah, I'm not going with that. Um, can't, can't wait for us to do this again at the All-Star break, and I'm changing my pick to the Sixers. Yes. Let's go back again to our wheelhouse, to the Bay Area. Should and will the Warriors blow it up in 2024? Woo. Which day in 2024? Trade deadline, June, July? 
anywhere? Uh, I, I, um, okay. Should, I think you're pushing it back to Fine. me to go first. I'll go. I can go first if you want me to go first. Oh, no, go, go for it. Go for it. I have thoughts, but go. I think it. I think they eventually will blow it up. I, just, I think that's what the tea leaves are in some form or fashion. Now that me, I think blowing it up means Chris Paul won't be on the team next year. Um, and this is just this is this is just me observing and making a prediction. This is not me. Like I'm not reporting anything. You have to do that on the Ringer platforms, Howard, because you know aggregations are a motherfucker. Um, yes, but I think, in my observations, that if I had to guess, I don't think that they double down, and I don't think that they. I don't even with the the latest Clay Thompson barrage and you know the semi last week good vibes of of uh, of of Andrew Wiggins. I think that they blow it up and they keep Curry and they keep Draymond. Draymond because they have to. They've already doubled down on him. I think that they blow it up. Chris Paul's not on the team next year. Klay Thompson's not on the team next year. And Wiggins isn't on the team next year. I don't think it's at the trade deadline. I think that's too soon. I think that they need to they, – They the thing with the Warriors is they're not going to trade for – and even if I wanted him to get Zach Levine, and I mean, I guess they might be in the Zach Levine food stakes. I don't know. That remains to be seen. But they want, if they're going to trade for somebody, it's going to put them right back in the mix. So they're trading for like, they want Embiid, the Giannis's of the world, right? They want a big splash to put a, alongside Curry and not somebody that's going to be maybe a Band-Aid to the situation, right? So that requires patience and also a little bit of luck. And I don't think that that's going to happen in the trade deadline. I think that they're going to have to wait until the offseason to make that big move and see where it goes from there. But it's not a, it's not fun. They're blowing leads. It's all bad. I think that they they should blow it up, and I think they will end up blowing this up, Howard. I agree they're not doing anything before the trade deadline. And I think, you know, a lot of this is it's and this could be fool's gold right we can we can delude ourselves and i've got a column running tomorrow on the ringer um that's kind of touching on on some of this stuff with the warriors but we can delude ourselves with the memory of oh it's only been a year and a half since they won that championship right like oh you know what's so much different about you know them now versus a year and a half ago well you know the old guys are a year and a half older that's part of it um they haven't had enough, you know, the young guys haven't popped enough although they're starting to see um some good things from a bunch of their guys and yeah, there's, you know, a couple more Draymond controversies in the meantime. Clay's on an expiring deal. Steve Kerr is on an expiring deal, lest we forget. We didn't even talk and about Bob- Steve. And I don't know about like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if Steve's coming back. Man. I don't know. There's some people that there's some people in this in our building, the ringer that think he's coming back. But I don't know. I do not know. He has not signed an extension. He has not committed himself, and he has not been like overjoyed with saying he publicly, at least, that he's coming back. I, I think it's actually really interesting how little has been said or written about in the Bay Area about Steve's status. Right, a lot of stuff about is Clay signing an extension. Where are they on those talks? Blah blah blah. There's been very little about Steve Kerr. Um, I don't. I don't want to say anything there that's going to get aggregated, but um, but I. I'm with you that the like the reckoning is coming. They're not going to do it in season, especially because this organization, and I think rightly so, defers to this core. Steph, Clay, Draymond, Steve Kerr. They defer to what they've accomplished, what they the 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 belief that there's still something left there. And I would do the same. Like I I, I 
if, if I'm going to have to concede the point at some point that, that the run is actually over, I'm not conceding that point until after the season. I'm giving them every possible chance. If there's a trade I can make midseason, whether that's moving off Chris Paul, maybe it's moving off of Wiggins. I know he was central to that last championship. If there's something I can do significant at midseason that keeps in place the core, and by the way, controversies are no, uh, sus- indefinite suspensions are no, I, I'm not trying to move Draymond Green. I don't know what his, his value would be around the league right now anyway, given the cloud over him, but I'm not, he, he's, he's, he's Steph's most important teammate. Like the, the magic of their offense, to say nothing of their defense, has so much to do with, with Draymond. I'm not, I'm not moving him. So I'm, I'm with you. The two guys that I'm fairly certain are, are back opening night in 2024 are Steph and Draymond. I'm not sure about anybody else, including their coach. And then, like, and that's another thing. If Steve Kerr, and again, I don't, we're, this is two convers, this is a conversation amongst homies. I, if, if Steve Kerr isn't back, I don't know if the magic is still there. I, 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 you would have to, I would have to see what the coach is after that, you know, like just in so many ways. They're just such a unique team in the relationships that they have. We'll see what happens. Um, I don't want to get too much into it because again, I'll just call you after this episode and we can, we can talk about it after that. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's get to the business of the NBA. I got a couple, few more for you. All right. Will the NBA get what they want with the next TV deal? Ooh. All right. So you and I are, are not sports business reporters. We're not the uh, sports business journal. We're not Bloomberg. We're not. This isn't uh, the town. Shout out to Matthew Bellany. We are not Sportico. Um, I am no Scott Soshnick. Uh, so this is more like going off of, of, of just a feel for things and conversations and just, you know, a little bit of scuttle, but a little bit of vibes, I guess. No, I don't think they're getting it. I don't think they're getting the tripling of the deal that was once discussed or speculated about. Um, this, the state of, of, it's not just, it's not really about the state of the NBA. It's not even really any fault of theirs. It's the state of broadcast media and streaming and everything. Everything's just kind of a mess. So no, um, like the NBA is still going to gain, right? It was 20, I think it was, I think the figure was 24 billion over 10 years when yeah. they signed the last deal. 2014. And people yeah. were, yeah. So people were talking about that tripling. I, I mean, it, shit, man, if it still doubles, I think, you know, th- they'll be just fine, right? Like the, the, the league's operating, uh, or their, their revenues have, have surpassed 10 billion a year in basketball related income. Like that's that's only going to still be going up, but will the growth be as as rapid uh, based on broadcast rights at, at the national level? Uh, that seems doubtful. Uh, it's it's interesting because again, it's not no fault of the NBA's. It's they just have terrible timing with this, right? Like it's just they this happened to have their TV deal come up as we are figuring out what streaming and and linear television looks like at this point. Um, We'll see what happens because on one on one hand, like Turner Broadcasting, you're not watching anything on Turner. I mean, maybe you are. I know you might be like a Law and Order head. I don't know, but you're on these 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 channels and these people like are needing the NBA specifically a, a Turner because no one goes to their channel otherwise, unless you're watching Law and Order reruns. But on the other hand, right. I think when I think I heard Zasloff say uh, that 
you know, they they don't want to always be in the business of being renters. They want to be buyers. So we'll see what happens on, on that end. But you're, all of that that confusion goes to say of like we don't the, the the sports the media landscape doesn't know what it wants to be. So it's going to be hard to find a deal on a slightest scale that, that'll be advantageous for both sides. It's just a t- it's this is just the toughest possible time for this to happen, in my opinion. Yeah, the timing is 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 tough. Um and the economy is is not uh in a state that's conducive to them tripling their their revenues. But you know what? There there are all, all these other parties coming in. There is competition for the broadcast rights and streaming rights. So whether it's Amazon, whether it's Apple, whether it's NBC, whether it's Fox, um, whether it's Netflix, who who else, whoever's coming into play, that's all to the NBA's advantage. It's just a matter of whether anybody thinks that that the outlay should be what the NBA expected. But um, but I, I think that's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Last one. Um, will the Nuggets continue to be on their way to a dynasty? Now, it's funny because the Nuggets are great. They're like in a Spursian like vibe right now, right? Where they're just low-key. They're just letting everybody, you know, do what they got to do, and they're just staying. They're just staying the course right now, right? But in the beginning of the season, they did have their chest out. Go read Kevin O'Connor to to, to go figure out what I'm talking about. But I'm kind of on the fence here. I'm going to vote no. I don't think that they're. I, I don't think that there are. I know Jokic is great. I know they're doing great, but I don't see the run yet. Are you of the mind where you see them going on this? And mind you, this was them talking about how they are going to reel off. This is this is one of the first times I've ever heard, so I heard a front office person just say like outright. It's usually the players that say like, hey, we're going to reel off three or four or five or six. Um, but the front office is sticking out their chest. Are you of the mind that, hey, yeah, four or five, three or four, let's do it. We have the same problem now with talking about dynasties that we have with the MVP, right? Like, we'll be three days into the season. It'll be like, hey, you know, uh, Jokic uh, is eclipsing the field in the MVP. We're three days into the season. Can we wait until like December, January, February? I'd be like, uh, Tim Bontemps just 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 hit me the other day for his his first MVP poll. I'm sure that's coming in the next couple of days. Cool. It's fine that we do that. I like it. It's enjoyable. Gives us all something to talk about in late December. That's fine. How are we talking about dynasties when a team has won one? Like, how is the D word even invoked when a team has won one? I get it. They're relatively young. The key guys are all under contract. Jokic is incredible. Is it possible? Sure. But good Lord, folks. A dynasty to me, Logan, everybody's got probably got their own definition. Dynasty to me is at least three championships in, in say like a ten year span, right, and maybe even another couple finals runs. I mean, they're gonna own the decade, basically. But it's it's right. It's not two, like the Detroit Pistons. All due respect to the bad boys, the Detroit Pistons uh, win a couple titles. Not a dynasty. Hey, the man, relax. Won- hey, Detroit get a little sensitive when you bring up the when you bring up the bad boy Pistons. Okay, and anything. I'm, I'm sorry, you know? not a dynasty. Just, just, Great team, I, not a dynasty. Saying. You needed a third championship. Uh, Rockets <laughs> won back to back. Rockets won back. That was uh, Logan laughing, not me, folks. Um, Rockets won back to back. Not a dynasty. All right. You won two in a row. That's nice. That's cute. Um, 
you got to win at least three. So the Spurs of the 2000s qualify, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers qualify, the Bulls, obviously, the Showtime Lakers, the 80s Celtics who won three. So you got to get to three. Could we wait until a team has won two before we say they're a potential dynasty? Because two is not a dynasty. Two puts you on the precipice of now being able to be one if you can get the third. But it's hard just to even get the one. It's really hard to get the two. Can they be the best team in the league first? Can they do that this season before? Can they do that, well, that like that in the too. regular season? Can they do that first, please? Can they not be a middle of the can they not just be 17 and 10 and not even being talked about for, can we, can we get to that? Can they go on a run? Can they have like a defined? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, by the way, we're in a, we're in a, a, a time period here of the NBA where for the first time since the late seventies, we've gone five straight years with different champions, right? You know, warriors and actually it's now it's, it's, it's basically, well, it's, Five or six, depending on how you want to dice this up. Like the Warriors didn't repeat. They have, they won another one, you know, 18 and 22, but like Raptors in 19, Lakers in 20, Bucks in 21, Warriors 22, Nuggets 23. Five straight years of, of somebody else raising the trophy. It's, a, we're in a time of, of unprecedented parity and volatility. Contracts this are short. What everybody wanted. They wanted parity, guys. They wanted parity. So there's so much volatility in the league, stars moving around, luxury tax creating issues for teams. You can't keep a core together. It's really hard to keep refreshing your rotation on the fly. Everything is stacked against having a dynasty or being able to sustain one. So this is not a knock on the Nuggets. This is not me having doubts about the Nuggets. It's just two things. One, it's too soon to talk about a dynasty when you've only won one. When they've won a second one, it's, it's a valid discussion. Two, it's just really hard to do in today's NBA because of the entire system is basically conspiring against it. I agree. And I wish there was a better team. They were a better team so we could discuss them like, you know, kicking ass in the regular season and maybe like thinking that they, oh, man, this team is the best team in the league. Maybe we can. Well, not for nothing. The reason that people have often been slow to, to to embrace the Nuggets or believe in them because as great as Jokic is, two-time MVP, perennial MVP candidate, going down as one of the all-time greats, even if he retired today. But they don't have that second guy, right? Like Jamal Murray plays at an all-star level, has never been an all-star. Yeah. Michael Porter Jr., not an all-star. Aaron Gordon, not an all-star. Like they don't... They're the an dynasties ensemble. Of, di- right, they're an ensemble. This is what I'm talking about. Like all the recent champions have been one superstar with a great ensemble. And that's the, the 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 model right now, and because of that, it's I think it's all harder to sustain one. It's not Michael and Scotty or Shaq and Kobe or Magic and Kareem. It's not these these superstar partnerships. And even when Wade and LeBron did it, they only did it for four years together. And by the way, also not a dynasty. Uh, they won two. Um, so and I, and, it all, and it could there there's an argument. It could have just been one. You know, they got lucky with two. So you you have like the reason it's hard to to like proclaim the Nuggets of budding dynasties is in part everything else I already said, but like in part, yeah, like Jokic doesn't have his Pippin. And I think it's it's harder to do this time after time after time if you don't have two guys who are like top ten. I agree. Um it's good to have you on. You know, it's just like a throwback to, you know, 
last year. So shout out to you. Thank you, Howard Beck. Uh, we will see you in the new year. This has been the last MF and Beck. That's Come right. back to us on Thursday where we're going to have our second annual Rillies Awards. Make sure you guys listen to that. Um, we have a lot of categories that we need to give out, including Real One of the Year. You don't want to miss it. See you guys on Thursday. And then after that, see you guys into the new year. Tap in. Ah, all the shits. Bye. Must be 21 years and older and president select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit KS Gambling Help in Kansas 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or visit 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like ease. And the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.